Welcome to Season 6 of Scrub Chat, a podcast of sharing stories by veterinary professionals for veterinary professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Kim Farina, a veterinarian, a writer, and I've worked in the animal healthcare industry. And prior to that, I was an MTV journalist and radio personality. So my career has taken me in lots of different directions. Speaking of directions, in each episode of Scrub Chat, I sit down and chat with a guest so they can share their own different directions and journeys. I mean, what we're doing is really exploring veterinary medicine combined with all the other aspects of our lives. One last thing. Thank you, Zoetis. Zoetis has generously created these podcasts to help support the veterinary profession. Today, we get to sit down with a shining star, Hedaya Martinez-Jaka, who by the time this podcast airs, will likely be Dr. Hedaya Martinez-Jaka. Woohoo! Hedaya is a fourth year student at Virginia Maryland College of Veterinary Medicine. She is also the immediate past president of the National Student American Veterinary Medical Association. Welcome to the humble abode of Scrub Chat. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Well, we're so glad you're here. We're crossing paths today because you shared the stage at the Veterinary Leadership Conference this past January with Scrub Chats producer Garnetta Santiago. You guys delivered the keynote address. And I'm curious, like, what was that like? Were you were you thinking, like, what am I doing on this stage with all these people? It was incredible. Garnetta is, first of all, just the most amazing human. And uh, it was such an honor, honestly, to be up there with these veterinary professionals that from all parts of the profession with such varied backgrounds and numerous experiences and important stories to share. So I truly was just humbled to be up there with them, to have spent months working on the keynote and it was a very fulfilling experience, um, and it still feels surreal that I got to do that with everyone. I can imagine. So what did you talk about in your part? I told the story of my why for veterinary medicine, and it comes back to my chickens. I adopted, my family adopted a flock of chickens when I was at 14 years old. I had never had any pets before that, no indoor pets or anything like that, and when I, we got them and, and for years and even still now, there's been no veterinarian to take care of them or who is willing to kind of treat them as pets. And so I told the story of two different chickens of my own, my hen named Cuddles and a very traumatic euthanasia that instilled in me because of the veterinarian's lack of empathy in that situation for the fact that she was my pet and the kind of that trauma from having such a horrible experience, you know, letting my my hen go and how that inspired me and pursued me. You know, I had to take that trauma and turn it into motivation to be someone who can bring people and pets through the euthanasia experience in a better way to go into veterinary medicine and, and be the kind of veterinarian that I wish I had. And the second story I told was of my rooster, Sammy. When I had to bring him in, I, he had irritation in his eyes. So he was like squinting it real hard and it was red. And I called around and actually got a small animal veterinarian to say yes to me bringing my rooster, Sammy, in. And when I got there, it was just the most amazing experience, just like a complete contrast from when I brought cuddles in. And the veterinarian was so kind and empathetic. He let me help with the ophthalmology exam by this time I was a first year in vet school. So it was just 
a wonderful experience and showed me the dichotomy of these two experiences and kind of solidified the fact that, you know, we have a good profession and this is what I want to be. And I, I can provide a better care for our pet chicken owners, pet chicken parents and parents of all non-traditional pets and parents of traditional pets too. I rounded out the story with a third part and it was about my very first patient as a fourth year veterinary student in clinical year. I was on an externship. Again, first patient I ever took primary on was a hen. By like the second day of her hospitalization, the owners were calling in and asking to talk with me uh, instead of the veterinarian. But the veterinarian was amazing, wonderful, great mentor. And so she empowered me to take charge on this because I could relate to these pet parents of this little hen. And I knew I knew my stuff. I knew what was going on with this hen. So it was so full circle. And, and that's really it was those three points in my path that I brought together to explain my why and those reminders that we get along the way. Absolutely. And, you know, I think, especially in the last point, courage comes to mind. I think courage, that word, is often tied with leadership. And I think you have to be brave enough to put yourself out there to lead. And, you know, you are a leader. And I'm just curious, where does that courage come from within you? That's such a great point. Courage is a huge part of anything we do and putting ourselves out there, you know, just to get into, the, just to be in the profession, but especially in a leadership position. It really comes from, I would say, two main things. One is my family and my parents and my childhood and how they instilled in me to be of service and to help one another, to always be learning, always be supporting, to have that kind of belief in me and support growing up and even now has really given me the privilege of having the ability, even in the hardest situations, to bring that courage out in me. Um, and so I'm, I'm extremely grateful to my parents for you know everything that they instilled in me and giving me that foundation. Um, and the second is my faith. I'm Muslim, so I follow the faith of Islam. And I I was raised, you know, Muslim. And it's a source of, it's actually Ramadan right now, which is the month of fasting. Um, so it's a really holy time. There's only a couple of days left. It's like the most holy time in the month of Ramadan. So it's, a, it's really wonderful to be asked this, but it's really a source of comfort and courage for me and knowing that, you know, my faith in God will get me through and that, you know, everything is in God's plan. So I would say those are the, the two biggest things when it comes to courage that I try to draw from. I really love your answer to, the, to that question. And I'm curious about why you want to be in leadership positions in the first place. I mean, why is it important for you to be a leader? I did not set out to be a leader. The presidency with Sama was actually my first time ever being a president of it, something. I love being behind the scenes growing up. My family was super involved and still is in civic uh, civil rights and in interfaith and multi-faith work, you know, and just being there in the community and serving and connecting people. And that is how I approach anything. And so when I started vet school, I said, this is my new community. The veterinary profession is my new community. How can I help? What can I do? And so I kind of was encouraged. I went out for to be elected as delegate for the Virginia Maryland College of Veterinary Medicine. So I represented 
my school to the SAVMA House of Delegates. And there's every veterinary school with a SAVMA chapter. So there's probably at that point, maybe like 70 to 80 delegates from, you know, two from every school representing their colleges. And so I went out for that and had an amazing time. These individuals are just so motivated. And so as time progressed and I was on committees and projects, I was encouraged by mentors and peers to go for the presidency. I said, you know what? I think I do have something to offer. I do have the ability to bring people together and support people and have ideas and ways to bring us forward as an organization and contribute to the profession. So I said, okay, let's do it. And so it was just a complete honor to be elected and have that trust put in me by my peers, 17,000 veterinary students. Still boggles my mind, but I really firmly believe in servant leadership but also that a good leader must be a good follower. I did not set out to be a leader. I love supporting people. I have done that my whole life, you know, in undergrad and community college. I was always part of whatever I could do to support the people around me. And so that's where it really comes from. And this was just a new way, a new level that I hadn't had before, but the opportunity to support each other. So I didn't, like I said, I didn't set out to become a leader. I set out to be of service to the people around me. And it kind of culminated in a leadership position. And it's just really humbling to be in these spaces and be able to support people from any leadership position that I'm in now or in the future. As being part of an underrepresented group in veterinary medicine, you mentioned, you know, you, you, you know, we've talked about that, that you're Muslim. Were you ever scared at times to lead? I mean, now that you've become a leader, were you ever nervous about being a leader because of your faith? So I am underrepresented in multiple aspects. I am half Mexican-American, half South Asian-American, and I'm a woman of color, I'm a woman of faith, I wear a hijab. Um, and so all of these aspects come into the fact that, you know, I am part of the underrepresented groups in our profession. And I also feel kind of wonderful to be able to connect with essentially three different groups um, and represent in that way. I wouldn't say that scared would be the, I don't think that scared would be the word that I choose. I, I think it just took a lot to get to the points of having a voice and a ability to work in different leadership positions. It, you know, for people of underrepresented identities, it takes 10 times the amount of work to get to the same level or even higher in a profession, whether that be in a clinic, in a veterinary school, in leadership positions, it takes a lot of work. And so I would say that that is probably the biggest thing is just how much it took to put into anything I do to get to the point of equality and then having a voice on top of that. Why do you think it takes so long? What What's your sense of why it requires so much work? It comes down to systemic inequality qualities and a lack of representation. Uh, I never saw anybody who looked like me or had any of the identities that I hold uh, in veterinary medicine. I actually didn't even know any veterinarians. So I was like 14 or 15 years old. And it just happened to be that my little brother soccer coach was a veterinarian and was willing to bring me in and to shadow. And that was my first exposure to the profession. So I came into vet school with no connections to the profession with no, you know, a lot of my peers have known since they were two years old or, you know, they, they had that experience and exposure and they had 
mentors to bring them through that were in the profession. I had mentors, they just weren't in veterinary medicine. So there were so many of those parts that I had to work through to bring myself to the same level as everyone else in first year of vet school. I, I went to community college and then I finished my bachelor's degree at a school that didn't have agriculture program. A lot of my peers came in with agriculture backgrounds. There was, there was catch up academically just because I didn't have the privilege of those experiences and, you know, being a person of color and not, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of us that don't have that connection to vet med early on or even awareness. And so just from that base level, there's catch up to get to equality and in this classroom with my 119 peers in an auditorium, right? <laughs> Maybe 10% people of color in my class, just at that level. And then on top of that, there are a lot of parts in being, you know, BIPOC, so Black Indigenous person of color. It's kind of, that's it, a, a term to address each identity and uh, in, in being a, of those identities in a predominantly white space, which the veterinary profession is. Um, there's a lot of ways that one has to navigate and again, even from a base level, come up and build myself up to the point of equality. So I, there, there, I'm not saying that there aren't certain privileges, like there's socioeconomic privileges, there's educational privileges, there's all kinds of different dynamics that come into being, you know, of any identity, but specifically with underrepresented, I would say those, just getting those base level foundational parts to become equal to my peers was, was tough. And then going on to leadership and things like that. I, you know, I'm very grateful for the fact that I have the confidence and the voice and the ability to navigate situations and, and knowledge of bringing people together that really enabled me to keep going forward. And that's just, but the fact that I was able to get to that point where I could be a leader and use the skills that I had, I had to kind of start from here and then get up here. And then I got to use my, oh, you can't, it's a podcast. You can't see my fear. I see your hands waving and, and we can imagine it. Oh, there's a huge mountain to climb in becoming equal to one's peers when you're in an underrepresented group and then you finally have the opportunity to shine and look be be seen for all that you are and recognized for everything that you can offer. And I feel like one of the themes that's coming through so strongly is is your amazing sense and your sense of duty to bringing people together. And I'm just curious when you got to vet school, did you then look around and go you didn't feel like you belonged. And then I'm curious if that, if you felt that way, like, how did you like talk yourself through it? Like, how did you get it? How'd you get through it or not? Well, you did get through it, but like, like what, what did you need to do to overcome that hurdle? If there was one. Uh, so I grew up in rural Virginia, a predominantly white town. I was kind of used to the demographics. You know, I, I, I knew what it was like to always kind of stick out. You know, I walked into the auditorium the first day of orientation and I could absolutely, it's not something that anything that I or my fellow students of color didn't notice, you know, the demographics. But um, ultimately it was a, a sense of telling myself, I do belong. I earned my spot here. 
I have so much to offer and it's different than anybody else in this profession, anybody else sitting in this auditorium and everybody's got a valid thing to bring to the profession. And so it was a process of, of that and, and building on the fact that, you know, I came from rural Virginia and I am still in rural Virginia, you know, at, at my school. And it's a process of confidence and identity and it's not quite ever ending. I, I'm fortunate enough in these positions now, I feel that I belong in the profession. I, I feel confident and welcomed, but that's not the case for all people of color. It's a privilege to be able to say that. I'm curious about your mentoring. You have been a peer mentor for pre-vet, first year, second year students, and you've said that you, quote, empower them to find their paths. Do all paths or should all paths involve leadership and why or why not? That's a great question. I think that leadership has many forms and it is in essence part of everybody's path just maybe not the traditional way that people think about you know you're a leader when you're in your surgery group of three and you're the surgeon that day and you're a leader when you're in a study group and you're bringing the discussion together you're a leader when you're a follower and you support the people around you and you make sure that whomever is acting as the visible leader is doing well because of what you're able to give them structurally. So I think leadership, again, has many forms and it is by default part of everybody's path. And so when I mentor, it's such an amazing opportunity to be able to mentor classes after me and pre-vet students because it's kind of, you know, peer mentorship is so valuable. It kind of goes in like the see one, do one, teach one. So I was mentored by upperclassmen when I was first, second, third year. I still am. I still connect with, they, they're graduated now, but I, I still gain so much value from being mentored by the people before me. And I like to pass that down, right? So I've seen that. I've seen one. I'm seeing the people in front of me have gone ahead of me. I'm doing it myself and then I'm teaching it to the people after me. It's just mentorship is so wonderful and it, it really goes both ways between the mentor and the mentee. So I would, I try to, what I try to do and I, I save for anyone, you know, you don't have to be the, the like cookie cutter example of a leader that we think of as a society. There's leadership in everything we do and a leader must be also a good follower. Yes. And I think that's the key here is that Leadership doesn't necessarily mean being president of SAVMA. It does, but, you know, it is, but it's, it can, it can have so many different forms is really what you're saying. Absolutely. And you may not know it, but you're finding it in your life. And those are valuable, just as valuable as, as any other leadership position. What you were talking about earlier, your little brother's soccer coach um, was a veterinarian. And I think this ties to my next question, because thankfully he was there and you were able to have a connection with a veterinarian. So why is it important for underrepresented groups to take on leadership roles in our profession? It's really important for people of underrepresented identities to be visible and have a voice because when we have that opportunity to be out there and the people, our next generation of veterinarians will be able to see us. And so it's not just about being there and just kind of like having a photo. It's about the active effort of creating an inclusive space 
and having you know our future veterinarians have people to and role models to look up to that they never had before truly being able to visualize themselves in those spaces and in that position and know that it's possible i think you hit it on the head because thanks to that veterinarian who took a leadership role as a soccer coach you had that you were able to go hey i can do this too and so if you yeah. see more people in these groups in these positions, then you're inspiring others to be like, hey, you know, she looks like me and she's doing it. Now I can do it. Exactly. And I will clarify, my little brother's soccer coach was a, a white man. Um, and what he did was empower me to find my path. And so it's not just about, you know, an underrepresented person having a mentorship role with underrepresented groups. It's also about the profession, bringing people together, bringing people in and truly welcoming them into the space. And and that, so that's really a responsibility to all of us in the veterinary profession. If we want our profession to look the way the society that we serve looks, which we do, we, that is absolutely a goal, then we need to take those active roles in recruiting and welcoming our future colleagues. You're Absolutely right. Well, we are almost out of time. So I want to get one last question. And do you have any funny vet school stories you'd like to share with us before we stick a fork in this episode? Oh, goodness, I do. I have so many. But the one I'm going to share with you today is a comes from the beginning of clinical year, I was on my diagnostics rotation. And part of that is doing necropsy. So I'm on the necropsy floor with a cow that unfortunately had been euthanized and we were doing necropsy to figure out what was going on. And she was very bloated. Um, And it was uh, a new faculty's first day as well. (laughs) And she was reminding us, you know, when we're removing the fascia and the muscle from the rib cage and the abdomen, be gentle (laughs) because the cow is bloated. And I was like, I was, I was going, it was going real smoothly. I was finding a groove. I was with one of my classmates and we were just going at it and just removing all this muscle. And I was like, I'm being gentle, I'm being gentle. It's great. I perforated the bowels and I got a giant splash of everything the intestines had in my face. Oh It got got in my eyes. Thankfully I was wearing a mask, so it didn't get in my mouth all over me. Um, and I kind of just froze and everyone was like staring at me wondering like, am I going to cry? Am I going to laugh? Like what's going to happen? I started laughing. It's, I mean, what else can you do in that situation? You have cow guts in your face on in the necropsy floor. Um, so I ended up having to go in the eye wash station for a while, fill out a report. I didn't have any glasses with me. Um, cause I mean, that was not an expected outcome and I, I didn't bring my glasses that day. So I had to take my contacts out and then I had to like call up one of my friends who was on the anesthesia rotation <laughs> who happened to be between cases and be like, Hey, I cannot see. Can you like drive me home? please?" <laughs> so I get my glasses. <laughs> so they sent me home for the day and they were like, uh, yeah, just, just go home. Like you're fine. Yeah. So she drove me home because I could not see anymore, but that was a really memorable moment. <laughs> the beginning oh of the year. <laughs> gosh, that's huge. And you were doing it. And, and it's not like you were being careless. Like you were doing it so well. You were being and, and in your brain. You're like, I'm being gentle. I'm being gentle. And it's happened anyway. Oh. <laughs> 
It really did. I I just distinctly remember right before it happened, I was thinking about how gentle I was being. I was like, man, this is, I'm going so smoothly. I'm being so gentle. Nope. <laughs> ah, well, you know what? Yeah, that's veterinary medicine, man. That's what it is. It sure is. It sure is. <laughs> you know I wouldn't we're have like, it any other way. Yeah, and we're like careful folks, and yet it still can happen. Yep. Your, your story is proof. One thousand percent. Oh my gosh. Well, we're out of time, but I, I swear, I think we have to do a part two. Um, thank you for joining us today, Hedaya. We really appreciate it. It, it was great. Really lots of good learnings um, from you. And we really appreciate you sharing our story, your stories with us. Thank you so much. It was wonderful to be here and have the opportunity to chat. Um, I'm actually in scrubs because I got to go to my overnight ER rotation. So it truly was a scrub chat. It, look at that. She is in gray scrubs. So she is chatting in scrubs on scrub chat. So this wraps up another episode of scrub chat, a podcast of sharing stories by veterinary professionals for veterinary professionals. If you have any questions or comments, please send us an email at scrubchat at zoetis.com. And don't forget to share and review this podcast so we can produce more in the future. We are grateful to Zoetis for the support. Until we hang out again, hey, I'm Dr. Kim Farina, and this is Scrub Chat. <laughs>